Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the everyday struggles of the independent filmmaker. I am Liz Manischel. And I am Ulrich Bursell. This week, we have a most special interview with the amazing, astounding, stupendous, fantastic Joe Bob Briggs. It's like it's like those guys that used to be on the Ed Sullivan show that uh, balance plates on uh, the tops of bamboo poles, you know, and you spin the plate on the pole. And then you get about 30 of them going and then you run back and forth across the stage trying to keep, you know, the last plate spinning. You know, that's sort of what a director does. And there aren't that many people that have the the patience and the stamina to do that. But I really admire the ones who do. I, I admire anybody who finishes a film. You know, that's 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 an amazing thing. Uh, he's a host. He's a comedian. He's a celebrator of horror and exploitation films. He's a hero to all. Uh, but first, Alric, you've got mail. My breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You've got mail. This week, we have an iTunes review. Oh, my God. Woo! <laughs> this says an honest and inspiring conversation i believe i hope so left on october 14th uh from jess 822 jess with a z at the end of jess 822 i have been listening to the podcast for several months and have thoroughly enjoyed making movies as hard as a filmmaker myself i can truly relate to the ups and downs of independent filmmaking that all and liz so frequently discuss I continue to be inspired by them and their guests to progress in my filmmaking journey. Four stars. Thank you so much, Jesse. Uh, really appreciate it. I'm just going to call you Jess. That's probably your name. Yeah, most likely it's someone named Jess with the last name starting with a Z who was born on August 22nd. Aha, ha. smart. Um, I'm curious though, why only four stars? Why not okay, stars? I know. I did the same thing. I did the exact same thing. You know what? There's this theory. That you don't want to give things 10 out of 10 or 5 out of 5 because you're tripping ah. up the algorithm, right? You're, it's a meaningless review. So hopefully, Jess Z822 was thinking, I'm going to give them an accurate but wonderful glowing review that only helps them in the algorithm. Huh. Is that or true? we just didn't make them happy. Or they don't like it as much as a 5 star. Is it better for some reason to get 4 stars than 5 stars? That for seems... IMDb, you're supposed to tell people to give you... I think it's like seven or eight stars because really? when you give 10, it's meaningless. I think it's all the extremes on the bell curve that like become meaningless and they disregard them in your amalgamation huh. of your uh, reviews. So if I really liked, like, let's say the boys and I gave it a 10 out of 10, like that review is meaningless, you know, that doesn't do anything. I know that there are more statistical, meaningful things that could that are considered here, uh, but um, I've been told that uh, that ten out of tens are they look like they're um, unrealistic reviews. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we also have some wonderful new YouTube comments on our last episode yeah. of the show that just went up on Monday, which is really cool. Um, Liz, did you want to read yeah. Uh, yeah. one of these? 
this was with our interview um, with Oz Rodriguez, uh, Vampires versus the Bronx. And Bernie Rao said, guys, this is a great and much needed podcast. I love it and good work. You guys rock with the smiley face. Um, and then Rafael Omar Cruz said, great episode. Love the podcast. Like, these are strangers and they like us and they enjoyed our interview with Oz Rodriguez. So win all around. I think Rafael Omar Damn Cruz you know has someone. been a fan of the podcast for a while because I'm okay. pretty sure I saw his name um, on stuff like uh, on Facebook likes and things like that. Um, Bernie Rao, though, I don't recognize. Um, and I apologize, Bernie, if you've been listening for just as long as Rafael has and I don't recognize the name. My bad. Uh, but thank you guys for commenting. It was so cool because he like popped up within the first like couple of days of the, uh, you know, the podcast, the episode being up. And uh, that's great. And uh, I'm just hoping for more traction with YouTube. Just keep on going up and up and up. I mean, well, direction. we should promote it. Well, we, we're going to promote it more. <laughs> we're going to promote it more. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm doing an okay job of promoting it. I, I need to um, do what I want to try to do every week is post the last week's, um, you know, YouTube podcast the same week as I post the current week. So like people can, like if they missed last yes. week, they can watch the video and there yes. it is. So uh, if you guys want to be like these wonderful people, uh, Jess Z822 or Bernie Rao or Raphael Omar Cruz, you can, uh, you know, reach out the ways they did. You could go on YouTube, leave a comment. You could go on iTunes, leave a review or you could send us a question, a comment, or suggestion to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Um, and then, yeah, like if you really like the show, just like Jess did, you could leave a review. Um, and I don't know, maybe make it five stars, maybe make it four stars. I don't know. Either way, whatever you feel in your heart. Vote your heart. You. Yeah. Liz, what are, what are some other things people should do? You can head over to our Patreon page. Thanks. Because we have, it's going to come in backwards because of the magic of movie making but it's our sticker i'm just gonna make it my face right now this yeah. is what it looks like it's beautiful it looks um but great. this is the actual size just so you, oh. i don't want to i don't want to manipulate y'all this, <laughs> this is the size of it um so yeah we have stickers at the three dollar level i believe yes and pins enamel pins at the nine dollar level and then yeah we have that youtube page so if you want to check it out the link for youtube is on our instagram bio and we just appreciate you just listening um but if you're looking for something else to do we just listed a bunch of things so thank you but uh liz i think it's time for soap dish i'm Lori craven and i'm an actress <laughs> an actress really how nice for you i'm betsy Faye sharon and i'm a bitch so today we're doing something a little bit different on uh, Soap Dish because people have been reaching out to me with uh, their pitch decks for their movies, which has been really interesting because like, you know, they'll send over a wonderful deck or they'll tell me about their film. And then, um, you know, I like ask questions like, oh, yeah, so like, what's the budget and what are you thinking? And they're like, oh, yeah, there's like a five million dollar movie um or this is a 10 million dollar movie and then i'm like well how much money have you raised like where are you at in the park the, the process and they're always like zero money zero dollars <laughs> we maybe have some some cast attachments maybe but you know obviously that doesn't really feel like a very real thing or they'd be like oh this person's attached if it was actually a real attachment um so i was just thinking it's like okay well, well like what what like how do movies get made because you know, there's all these people with these decks out there of movies that, you know, probably won't get made or maybe will get made one day. But like, who, who knows how many pitch decks of unmade movies there are? There's probably thousands and thousands of them. But my question to you is, is like, you know, you've made two features like and you were at one point that person with a pitch deck and no budget. Like, how did you get it to from, you know, that 
point there to like actually making a movie? I have crowdfunded all three of the features I've been attached to or have made. So I'm attached to a third feature right now. And so there's always like a little bit of base funding. So when people say, how much money have you raised? We always have a little bit in the coffer, right? But I also think that the the sneaky way to to do it is if you um, if you want to tell people that you already have an equity investor um, and you yourself have put in a little bit of money during development, it's sneaky. But you could say we already have an equity investor. Like maybe you did put in a certain amount of money and you're expecting a return and you're investing in your project. Like and make it legally accurate to say that you have an equity investor. But I'm just saying there are ways that you could put money in. You could be the first money in. So, and it doesn't have to be millions of dollars or thousands of dollars. No one wants to be the first one in. And so that's uh, what I'm addressing right here is like to have a little bit of money in, in the bank account first before going out to investors, I think is smart because it shows you have traction and you're a desirable commodity. But I also think you need to create uh, enough items to jump through enough hoops to, to show a potential investor that the train is moving. So I Mm. always say like, you got to have dates, like you got to know when you're shooting, you got to (laughs) be, do you have attachments? (laughs) Do you not like the the phrase? Maybe attachments is scary. Um, And if you're asking for $5 million, you, you better have a track record to show that you know how to handle that kind of money because you can't just ask for, unless you were, 10 years ago and wearing a baseball cap, you can't just ask for $10 million and you get a movie from like a very one, one possibly mediocre short. Oh God, I feel mean, I feel mean today. Oh, so who, who are you referencing there? Oh no. I'm just thinking about all the guys in like the mid two thousands who like, you know, they're always pictured wearing baseball caps. This is like a thing that women in film say all the time. They're like, well, I'm not a guy in a baseball cap, so I'm not going to get the money. Oh, so like, funny. it's like they all like had an indie film that was like a million and under. Oh, right. Yeah, and then yeah. they got like a franchise film. So just saying right, right. to look for $5 million, show that you can handle that money responsibly in your pitch deck and um, maybe express a little bit about how the waterfall is going to go and that you understand the the major ramifications of that investment and you understand the marketplace and it and really build a substantial deck to to reflect that. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. One is when you say have some money to start, like how much money do you think you actually need to like actually make a difference in approaching people? I've never fundraised for a $5 million movie. So I don't, I don't speak from experience. <laughs> well, I mean, just throw the 5 millions out the window. No. Just like, it, like, you're just trying to make a movie for whatever you can, like, you know. I can say my first two features, I provided the majority of the financing through crowdfunding or through revenue from right. my first film. Right. So right. I had probably 30 to 50% right. gathered right. for both of them. Um, and then it's, you know, you, to have enough money where there's a real true chunk of money in there, a substantial yeah. amount. And that's why I encourage crowdfunding. But I know right now is not the time for crowdfunding. Right. right. Yeah. yeah thir- 30 to 50 percent feels about right. You know, like if you can get that big of a percentage of your budget, then it, it actually will make a difference. But like for me, like I got probably... I don't know, maybe 5% of my budget together uh, on my own. And it was enough to get my producer on board, but it wasn't really enough to do anything else. And, uh, you know, we, we had to like 
kind of treat all our other investors as first money. And, and they were pretty, my producer was referencing the, the term first money in, like until we raised like, you know, more than half basically. Like he didn't really take it seriously until like we had like a really, like a large amount of money. But like my 5% to me was like a lot of money, you know, like yeah. it wasn't a small amount by any means. It was like the most I've ever gotten together ever, you know, so I just think it's it's really challenging, um, you know, a road to go. But yeah, I don't know. I just I, just, I do really think like getting the money <laughs> or any kind of money is really important in in the process. But wait, go back going back to what you said. You know, it's like you got your money together and then you attracted the attention of your first producer. Yeah, you didn't get the full budget immediately, but that's like the spokes of the wheel, right? And then like right. your next producer is like the axle, and then you know it's like it's this train. It's the train analogy. You gotta. I I truly believe in the train analogy. Yeah, and it's you know it just takes a long time too. It really does. Like it just takes a lot of energy. Like I was just talking to another filmmaker. And he was like, yeah, you know, like, 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 I was like, yeah, if you're going to make a feature, like, you're going to have to like, you know, really want to be able to live with it for a long time. He's like, yeah, for like a year and a half. <laughs> and I was sorry. No. Spit take. <laughs> Not a year and a half. Like, you know, eight years, yeah, you know, a six very years, long time. <laughs> yeah, five years, like, like, this is going to be your thing for a long time. And even when you're done with it, it's still going to, you're still going to be working on it in some form, you know, or another. Like you probably still do yeah. bread and butter stuff, right? At, at, you know, yes. Now. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, all the time. Um, I was just thinking, I went to an investor today for feature three and I emailed this woman that I'm trying to connect with. And I found that it's a game of like constant feeding of a, like of the train of momentum. Like we, I, I can't even tell you how it happened, but like Fran Drescher retweeted something about our film recently. So it's like, oh, wow. you go and you share this potential investor. You say, look at this thing that Fran Drescher retweeted. You know, it's like, it's not just one email. It's like 15 emails of reminders of <laughs> little wins of like a deck of a script of a sizzle reel of a, it's like, and I said earlier, jumping through hoops, it's like, these are all little hoops, right? That you're jumping through to prove to them, I'm serious. I'm responsible. I'm putting this project first. I care about it more than many things in my life. And you can trust me with right. this money, right? So it's the long game of like, of pers persuasion. It's a very long game of persuasion and like convincing someone what I hope is the truth, which is that that, that project deserves an investment. Right. Right. It deserves to exist. Yeah. The other question I want to ask you is like, you know, what do you think is like a reasonable amount of money to ask for your second or your third feature? Like, let's say you've made a movie that's around, I don't know, let's say a hundred thousand dollars. And then you're, you're trying to do your second movie or like, let's say it's $500,000, what, whatever, anything. Yeah. What, what do you think is like an appropriate budget for that director to take on? Like, do you think, it's like, could you jump from a hundred thousand to a million or is it more like, no, you got to go from like a hundred thousand to 500,000 or like 500,000 to a million, like then a million to 2 million. Or I mean, yeah. I don't know. What do you think about that? I remember talking to Matt Enlow of Just Shoot It about this, where oh, yeah. he was on like a very, um, cause you know, he's directed at all different levels. He's directed big budget, digital spots, commercial spots, but also he directed a fairly medium to low budget web series that got a lot of attention, right? Um, and 
remember he was on a commercial shoot and we were talking afterwards and he's like, it was a lot of money. It was like, it was a, it was a commercial, but it was like a lot of money. And he was like, Liz, it, it was the same. It felt the same as the low budget shoot. It was like, there were more chairs and there was nicer food, but it felt the same. <laughs> and right. I think, um, I don't think you have to kind of tear your moves. I think you could go from 100,000 to a million. You know, it's like, um, are you a good storyteller? Are you responsible? Are you communicative? You know, all those great things. But you, if you're a good storyteller, you should be able to tell stories at many different levels. So I don't think it's about that, but I think it's, for me, it's about what is that investor willing to invest in me? And mm. then if it's not enough for the budget, then you have to find another one. So I don't think it's about what you getting permission to ask for a certain amount. It's like you could work at any budget level as a storyteller, but what is that one individual going to give you? Like, remember right. that, um, remember we talked to the guy who did, um, he talked really fast. Uh, you, Eugene uh, Kotlarenko. <laughs> remember he was like, ask for double and you'll get half. Yeah. That seemed like a good strategy to me is to just <laughs> ask for exactly what you want and then just take what they'll give you and then move on to the next person. Or ask for double and, and, then, get, and then you'll get half of what you want. Or do you, do you think that's not a good idea? <laughs> I, I think I think that was really smart of him, actually. But do you feel like you have to kind of tear up? I don't know. I'm just wondering. Like, I mean, I just think it's all about relationships and whose trust you gain and then like yeah. what level they put you at in their own minds, you know, because obviously we've seen people who've never made a movie before who get $20 million to make their first movie or $10 million or $5 million or $100 million. Like, you know, there's all examples. So I just think it's like it's like the people who are giving you the money, it's like they are the ones who are deciding whether or not they think you're worthy of this challenge, you know? And so right. if someone likes you enough and they just think that like, hey, you're you're great, they might take a chance on you. I don't know. But I just think for me personally as a director, like I, I kind of like the idea of tearing up a little bit, you know, like I, I think trying to jump from you know, doing my low budget uh, sci-fi film to like, you know, a, a $20 million feature would be a little bit of a um, little, little stressful, you know, mm. it would, I would rather like go to like a $2 million movie or a $5 million movie or a $500,000 movie, even just another one in that same range, just to kind of get more experience and just kind of get more comfortable um, doing it, you know? I think there's like an invisible barrier around the $1 million mark where it's like, you'll meet people and they'll kind of judge you if you've made a film for under a million or over a million. And it's like, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like they kind of put you in certain brackets, like you were saying, but like, I think that's a jump that even though it's a lot of money, I think that's the goal, right? Is to get to that million dollar range after the micro budget level so that you could be right. thought of for at least those mid tier budget right. opportunities. So you can and go then, from a micro budget film filmmaker to a low budget filmmaker. basically. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I honestly just feel like it's all really about the story and the script that yeah, you've written and the, the, the circumstances that you've created around the project, because, you know, it's like whatever it takes to get the thing made, I think is what is what I really want, you know, like whatever we need to do this right. You know, if it's a, a crazy sci-fi movie with tons of visual effects and everything, well, like we probably shouldn't try to make it for, you know, $20,000 or $40,000 or whatever. Yeah. Like we should probably try to make it for over a million or more if it's, if it's really that kind of movie or we just don't make that movie now and we make another movie, you know? Yeah. 
Um, but watching all those Joe Bob Briggs drive-in movies and like hearing about the different budget levels for those and how like some of them were the equivalent of under a hundred thousand dollars today based off of the money back then and film and costs and stuff. It just really inspires me to be like, well, what, why, why not? Like, why not just raise whatever money you can and go make a movie, you know? Well, yeah, um, but I mean, that works for horror, right? It works right. for exploitation. But if you have that indie drama with no cast, you're in a different camp. You're going to have a lot of trouble, unfortunately, getting it out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, indie drama, is, it's, it's a tough one. You know, it's a tough situation to be in. I feel like genre is so much um, so much for, more forgiving on the younger filmmaker, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But I, I was just thinking, like, what, just editing my, my movie and, like, seeing what kind of movie it is and what kind of weird movie I made that's, like, you know, it's a thriller, it's a science fiction movie, but it's also got lots of drama um, in it as well and, like, you know, kind of standard drama stuff um, and relationship stuff and everything. Uh, mm -hmm. I just think like oh man i should just go out and make like a balls to the walls like genre movie like a crazy horror movie or a crazy sci-fi movie come that, to like, my world come to the world like, of horror that just like you know goes for it and has fun and you don't necessarily have to be as precious about like you know you still want good character motivation you still want great you know whatever story and, and dialogue and everything but you could just also just have more fun with it because you're doing something that's more heightened. I'm yeah. having so much fun writing this script because my trajectory, the the whole way of organizing the outline is like who dies first, who dies second, who like that's <laughs> all I have to figure out. Like there are themes, there's substance, but really I'm like, does this character die now or in like 10 pages? And I love that. It's like, I love the simplicity of like, because then it'll be the edit, it'll be cinematography, it'll be performances to be like, build suspense and have fun and manipulate. And it's not like all of the, um, I think you can play a mind game with yourself in drama and trying to figure out motivations and arcs. And now it's like, survive. Your goal is to survive as a character. And that sounds right. really fun to think about that simplicity. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed this conversation. We do have some <laughs> shout outs that we need to do. Just have one. <laughs> yeah, it was quit. They went. They said Quibi shout out, which I mean, what what's that like? Oh, I didn't see how, that one. How Quibi failed? Uh, this is from Lucas Colshaw, uh, designer extraordinaire. I don't know. He wants us to like like a rest in peace for Quibi. Um, I, I, did you ever think Quibi was gonna be a thing? Did you ever like no. take it seriously? No. Well, I always think something's gonna be real because there was money behind it. Right. And there was like a real infrastructure behind it. They got some pretty fancy people. So I always believe that money will kind of make things um, succeed. Uh, but I didn't I didn't watch anything on Quibi. I didn't even I don't watch one thing. No, me neither. I mean, there was lots of actors I liked and, you know, stories that seemed interesting. But it's like when when you tell me it's going to be a 10 minute thing. I'm, I'm not automatically just don't care as much. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah. I, I, I want to sit down. I want to be entertained for at least 30 minutes. Or know, like on. two minutes, 30 seconds. <laughs> it's either, either needed to be super short, like yeah. two minutes, or it needs to be longer. <laughs> yeah. That's, I feel. Uh, that's funny. Um, what was the other thing? Oh, he said vote. He said, so tell people to vote. I this guess. will come out after the election, won't it? Yes. <laughs> We hope you have voted. We hope we that hope you've done you've that. Voted. Please yeah. vote. And we hope the world has not ended as a result of the election. The, the results. I really am nervous about that. Um, and then Erica Longo, actor, actor, uh, writer extraordinaire, said, "Whoopee." She wants us to say "Whoopee." <laughs> Whoopee. Lucas said one other thing. Oh, flu shot. 
Okay, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> to get your flu shot. Lucas is just looking out for everyone right now. Like, he's yeah. like, don't be quibby. Don't be a quibby. Like, vote and take care of yourselves with flu shot. Thank you, Lucas. It's it's like he had his to-do list, and then he just told <laughs> us his to-do list. And he was like, oh, yeah, quibby. Too bad. Um, cool. Well, uh, yeah, I think without further delay, let's get to our conversation with Joe Bob. And then don't go anywhere when the interview's over, because Liz and I did something we never do. We had a post-mortem, like, discussion <laughs> about our discussion with Joe Bob because it was such a um, exciting moment for both Pivotal of us. for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and you'll see why in the first few minutes of this interview. Um, but uh, anyways, enjoy. All right, well, welcome uh, Joe Bob to the show. Thanks for coming today. Sure. Even if it's just via phone. <laughs> the first question we have for you is just a general question. It's very, very vague and broad, but what do you feel, uh, how do you feel about the general state of horror today? General state of horror? Man, I have no idea. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I just, uh, wow, horror is horror. You know, it's like, 200 years old I, I don't i don't understand questions like that sorry i can't i can't well it's okay i, I can follow up with a more specific one okay. if, that, if to get us in a that, different that was liz's question i'm just gonna, take, <laughs> I'm gonna put that on her that wasn't my question people actually, people actually answer that question <laughs> we actually brainstormed because we were so excited to talk to you joe bob that we had like an intense session of like what questions <laughs> should we ask him and i think uh i over okay. i'm overthinking a lot of it um <laughs> My, my second question is, um, well, like, ironically, drive-ins are incredibly popular these days, of course, due to the pandemic. And I just wanted to hear a little bit about how you feel the industries would be will be impacted by everything that's going on. Like, do you think we'll make more exploitation and smaller non-union films? Exploitation films are always piggybacks on uh, mainstream films. And so um, when a movie like It makes... $700 million or whatever it made, or, or a movie like, you know, Halloween makes $500 million, then uh, that's good for exploitation. That's very good for exploitation because that means that all those scripts that weren't being made, that were being passed around Hollywood and everyone's talking about how, how great they are, but they're, but they're too dangerous. All of those get made now. The secret to making more and more and more low-budget films is that the high-budget films are successful <laughs> because because all the all the producers are, are uh, want to be in horror. Horror goes in cycles. We're in we're in a time of maximum horror, you know, where <laughs> where uh, everybody wants to have a horror film, and so that's good. That's good for everybody. It's good for the writers. It's good for the directors. Um, it's not good for people trying to find a cheap script because the scripts become very, very valuable. Does that answer, does that answer the question? Yeah. <laughs> what are some movies that you feel like have come out or been made since it that like fit in that category that maybe wouldn't have been made if it hadn't been so you know popular? That's a good question. Uh, let me let me approach it from a different angle though. There's a movie called The Barn. Okay, uh, it's a micro budget micro budget movie. It's not a great movie, but it's an it's a good movie, and because um, because we're in a time of maximum horror, um, the director of that film uh, was able to take it around to all the horror conventions and uh, show it repeatedly and sell his DVDs and bring his cast members and promote it on social media and 
uh, give it like a two-year ride before he ever released it to um, Amazon or Netflix. And the result of that is he made a huge, huge profit on it. And he'll be able to make many other micro-budget films. Okay, so that's that's the way um, a, a, a healthy atmosphere for horror affects the micro-budget guys. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, you know, you you can make a film. Well, I mean, you can make a film on your iPhone if you want to. I wouldn't recommend doing that. But uh, you, you you can make a, a quality film. I mean, a, a technically qual a, a quality te- film from a technical point of view for uh, $50,000. I mean, a film that doesn't lack anything. Um, and I mean, you can make a film for $5,000, but I'm talking <laughs> about a film where you pay for, you pay for everything. It's not just your friends. It's not just volunteers, you know? And so the fact that we have all these $50,000 films, we don't have a lot of great $50,000 films, but we have a lot of films uh, that otherwise wouldn't be in the marketplace. And that's because uh, there are really successful films out there. We also have questions about your, I guess, should we call it an alter ego? Um, the Your personality and your on-screen personality. Are, are we allowed to ask about that, Joe Bob? Are we allowed to acknowledge well, John? I don't really know. Well, I don't know exactly what you mean, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> well, we wanted to hear a little bit about... Um, both Ulrich and I love the rants that you do on Drive-In Show. Uh-huh. And we wanted to hear how much of the political rants are you and how much are uh, this character that you've um, created over the years and, and have uh, lived well, through. Well, first of all, I hope that they're not political. I try to stay away from politics, <laughs> but but um, uh, at, at various times, I'm proud of the fact that at various times I've been attacked by the right and the left <laughs> and that uh, I've never had any particular... Um, axe to grind politically and never endorsed a candidate or never never done anything that would be partisan. Um, but, um, uh, you know, the, the, my job is to point out um, uh, ironies <laughs> in the culture and things where, you know, people are saying one thing and doing another. And so that's all I do with my rants is just I just I just uh, uh, try to find the pomposity and the and the ridiculousness um, in uh, modern life and talk about it. Um, I don't go at it from any kind of uh, um, point of view at all. I'm just uh, I'm just an observer of the many ways that people lie to one another. And so, and so, and I find that funny. I find humor in that. Um, I, it's like, I used to say, look, here's, here's what I do. I put a, I put a a machine gun on a swivel and I just hit different targets. I hit this one, that one, this one, that one, the other one. And about one in 20 targets will scream. So I hit that one 20 more times. And that's how you discover what the sacred cows are in the culture. And that, and hopefully that's how you destroy the sacred cows. Now, I don't do that so much anymore, because whereas people used to beg me to make fun of them, you know, they would, <laughs> I would see them, they would say, "Hey, you've never made fun of my church," you know, and and, and uh, when are you going to do a rant about my my religion, you know, or whatever? Um, uh, and that was the atmosphere for most of my career, is. Um, 
Joe Bob, uh, uh, you know, I, I would I would get uh, answered. Humor would be answered with humor. Um, in the past, I don't know, like two years, uh, you know, it's humor gets answered with hate a lot of times. And so yeah. there are there are certain things that I don't uh, there are certain things that I don't approach anymore. I just don't go there. And I think it may be that uh, satire, um, maybe we're not in an age of satire anymore. Maybe people don't want it anymore. Maybe I should stop writing it. Maybe I should stop talking about it. Because if it, if it ceases to be uh, fun, then uh, then there, it ceases to have a purpose. Uh, you know. And so I, I've been very uh, discouraged the last, uh, I don't know, I don't know, two or three years, I guess the Trump era, you know, um, I've made fun of every president since, uh, gosh, Carter, I guess, <laughs> you know, it's, that's, that's sort of what satirists do. We make fun of the president, you know, uh, but I've never heard, I've never gotten the level of pushback when you make fun of Trump and he's exceptionally fun to make fun of, you know, um, but I've never had the sort of like, assumptions about my motives when I make fun of the president. You have to make fun of the president. That's what we do. Doesn't matter who the president is. You have to make fun of him. You know, sort of you're you're not an American if you're not doing that, in my opinion. Um <laughs> but uh uh you know there's certain assumptions made today if you make fun of anything or anybody. And so um it, you know this is a long answer to what you're asking me. But um, my rants have always been nonpartisan. They'll continue to be nonpartisan. But there are certain things that I just I just don't go there because there's a whole social media, um, uh, you know, uh, instant backlash if you even approach the topic. And so um, that that to me is a degenerate culture. That's a, that's a culture that has declined um, from. That's not a healthy culture. And. Uh, uh, nevertheless, I'm not going to make it worse by, um, uh, by you know, by going into areas that people don't want to hear me talk about. <laughs> so, so right. is that a, is that a is that a good answer? Oh um, yeah, yes, but Absolutely. please don't stop with the rants. I think you yeah, keep that? the rants. Yeah, don't stop with the rants. <laughs> no, 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 no. Our favorite I part. Do, I do. The, I do the rants. I just don't. I just. I just. Um, I. I don't. I don't. I don't do the. I don't do them the way I used to do them. Uh, uh, you know. Um, I, I just rant about different things. So, uh, anyway, um, but yeah, I, I there, no, I, I, uh, as, as far as alter ego goes, um, nobody wants to talk to John Bloom. I'm, you know, <laughs> Joe Bob is more interest. Joe Bob is more interesting. And so, um, Joe Bob is a heightened version of John Bloom and a more interesting version of John Bloom. <laughs> I would say that's the way to understand it. <laughs> so the next question is about the show you know like now that you're back yeah. doing the show on shutter like what are some things that you want to do with the show that you haven't gotten to do yet or is there certain movies that you still want to cover that you haven't talked about like are there any things that we can be excited about in the future yeah there are lots of movies that uh you know we have a hard time getting the rights to um i've never i've, I've never I, I mean i guess i guess the bad thing about horror being so popular is that horror becomes expensive to license and so and so there's lots of stuff that we can't uh uh that we can't show that you know whereas when i was on monster vision at tnt uh well first of all ted turner had accumulated the biggest movie library in the world 
so we had just had a lot of stuff, you know, like in our closet. <laughs> but but um, but they could also uh, uh, license, um, you know, more recent titles um, fairly easily. You know, the stuff that we wanted for my show were not uh, desired by anybody else. And so uh, that's that's not true anymore. You know, what, what with all the streaming streaming services and the various um, ways of delivering movies, um, uh, a lot of times it's just not available. Somebody's you know snapped it up for the next two years because they want to do, um, you know, the the two thousand greatest movies for Halloween, <laughs> all in October, <laughs> and so. And so that movie's not available to us, you know. Um, but nevertheless, we have enough. I mean, we have we we have enough to choose from that um, uh, that I I I usually find something that I that I love, either something that I love or something that's fun to make fun of that I don't love. Um, the next question comes to us via my husband who got me into you. (laughs) Um, and he, he said, you know, you, you're, you talk a lot about how you're the great, you feel the greatest movie ever made was Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And he wants to know what the second greatest movie ever made was. The second greatest movie ever made. Oh boy. Well, my opinion changes from, (laughs) from, uh, from year to year. I would probably say Hellraiser. Um, uh, I think it's a damn near perfect movie, but you know, there are lots of, uh, contenders for that crown. Um, I mean, we would almost have to break, break it down by subgenres, you know, horror comedy, I would say basket case is, is still my, (laughs) is still my all time favorite horror comedy. I mean, some people don't think it's comedy, but I do, (laughs) you know, people always want to, want to name something from Italy in their, in their top 10 list, you know? And it's actually a pet peeve of mine. They, they act like all the Italian films are better than the American films. There's no way you can say the Italian films were better than American films. You know, we were putting out a hundred a year. They were putting out 10, you know, so it, it's really, it's really apples and oranges. But anyway, of those films, I would say maybe Deep Red, which we had on the show, maybe Zombie 2 would be somewhere on the list. Maybe Suspiria. I'm not I'm not as big a fan of Suspiria as most people are. I'm, I would be more a fan of Zombie Two. I think. Uh, is it, is any of this helpful? <laughs> All of it is helpful every time. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so Liz and I are both filmmakers. You know, we both um, you know are, are making films. Liz is writing a horror film right now. I'm finishing up a sci-fi you know uh, thriller, I guess. Um, so That's the question. Oh, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> Um, what would you want to see happen in in the genre going forward? Like, what should us young filmmakers be focusing on? Well, you say you're making a sci-fi film. Yeah. You know, one of the things that kind of disappeared after the 80s is the quality, low-budget science fiction. I mean, we all will always have, you know, from from for the rest of recorded time, we'll have great, um, you know, hundred million dollar science fiction films. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 um, Roger Corman was kind of the last guy trying to make um, uh, low budget sci-fi, you know, of high quality low budget sci-fi, and I think there's a there's a an opportunity there to return to that, you know. I mean, the key to it is sci-fi doesn't have to be 100% effects filled. You know, it doesn't have to be that. <laughs> uh, 
there are lots there's lots of great sci-fi fiction that's not about you know exploding stars and shit you know and so so that would be something where i think you know there's sort of a there's sort of a, a dearth of material there's always room for martial arts films the problem with martial arts films is great actors tend to be not be great martial artists and martial artists tend to not be great actors and there's only about three plots for that, for those films but if you can do one well there's always a demand for that there's always a market for that the third thing i would say is uh just generally low budget action films there's the low budget action film is also something that's kind of been neglected in recent years i think partly for political reasons i think that a lot of young filmmakers think that they're right wing. You know, if you look at the classic uh, action films of the past, especially the ones in the 70s and 80s, they were right wing. An action film doesn't have to be right wing, <laughs> you know. And so I think if, if young filmmakers would embrace that genre. But again, the problem is, can you find great actors who are athletic enough to do the to do the stunts? And can you do the stunt work for a low budget? But uh, all of those are genres, I think, that could use more input from uh low budget guys you know low budget you know the young filmmakers come out of film school and the first thing they make is a documentary really <laughs> you know it's like is, is the world that hungry for documentaries <laughs> we have nineteen thousand documentaries every year we have a documentary on every film ever made you know there's the film and then there's a documentary about the film you know uh, uh we have a, a documentary on every actor who ever lived you know it's like Stop with the documentaries. Go make a movie. <laughs> what about you, Joe Bob? You have so much respect for storytellers. Why not direct? Why not produce? Well, uh, I would love to produce, and I'm I'm trying to produce. Uh, I, I have no. I would I would be a terrible director because it's so detail oriented. It's it's so incredibly detail oriented. You have to be. You you. It takes a very very special individual to direct, and and you have to be a multitasker. The reason I think uh, directors fail is that it's like it's like those guys that used to be on the Ed Sullivan show that uh, balance plates on uh, the tops of bamboo poles, you know, <laughs> and you spin the plate on the pole and then you get about 30 of them going and then you run back and forth across the stage trying to keep, you know, the last plate spinning. You know, <laughs> that's sort of what a director does. And there aren't that many people that have the the patience and the stamina to do that. But I really admire the ones who do. I, I admire anybody who finishes a film. You know, that's 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 an amazing thing. I would like to produce, and I and I have uh, I have some. Uh, oh man, they're at a tentative stage, but I have some projects um, uh, lined up, and uh, I hope I can, uh, you know, find find some great um, uh, directors and writers and editors. Um, uh, who can, um, you know, bring some low budget stories to life. So that is something I'm going to try to do. So we have a lot of like, you know, first time filmmakers, aspiring filmmakers, people who are looking to make their first movie, listen to the show. Like what advice do you have to the person who maybe hasn't even picked up a camera yet or wants to pick up a camera and make a movie, but hasn't, you know, made the step or the leap yet? Well, my advice is to pick up a camera. <laughs> don't, don't, don't wait another day. If you if you truly want to be a filmmaker, then start being a filmmaker tomorrow. There's no excuse really to not be doing it because there's no longer any 
financial reason why you can't do it. If you compare the editing software of the year 2000 to editing software today, it's about 98% cheaper. If you compare the cameras you would have had to use in the year 2000 to the cameras you can buy today, it's about 1,000 times cheaper. If you uh, compare anything, As far as the cost of making films today, there's no longer any money barrier to making a movie. A lot of times I go to festivals where a lot of young filmmakers have their latest film, and the technical quality is almost always superb. The problems with the films are writing problems, sometimes acting problems. They're things that don't cost any money, you know? Um, the, the weak link in the micro budget world, low budget world is scripts. The scripts aren't fully formed when they're shot. And so that's one reason I'm going into production is to have a pre-production process where the scripts are, 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 uh, sharpened up, um, before the, before the shooting starts. There are a lot of good technical directors. They just don't have the they don't have the storytelling uh, chops to write the script themselves, and they don't have a partner who can do the script for How them. How are you sourcing these projects? We're really getting deep into the weeds here, so I hope we're not boring. <laughs> no, I hope we're not great. boring people no. with these technical no. problems, you know. But um, how am I sourcing the films? Yeah, well, starting with the scripts. You know, we're starting with with uh, buying, you know, buying the scripts or commissioning the scripts. A great script can can almost overcome any other failure and a bad script can almost never overcome any failure. (laughs) And so, um, and so I'm very, I'm very writer oriented. I'm very much, I'm very much, um, uh, uh, an encourager of, um, uh, young writers. And, uh, um, a lot of times, uh, a lot of times the directors take a shortcut by writing it themselves, which I think is a mistake because there's only been about five people in, in history that could do both, <laughs> you know, they could do both well, they could do both at, at a high level. And so um, I'm, I'm, I'm sourcing the projects with, with uh, acquisition of script. I just made a face cause I, I had to write my first feature and uh, you know, I think well, if I had the option. Does. No, <laughs> No, don't make a face. I mean, like almost every, almost everyone has to do that. But um, but in, in an ideal situation, uh, no one would ever do that. You would have a team, and the team would consist principally of um, a writer, director, and an editor. Right. In some cases, you would add to that team production designer, and under under production design, I would include all effects and everything everything else that goes into production design. Right. But but those those three people, rarely do you have the skills of all three. You can do all three. Anybody, you know, an editor can direct, a, dir- right. a director can edit. You know, but one one reason I want to be a producer as opposed to as opposed to writing something or acting in something or is is to put together these teams mm. you know put together people who wouldn't know about each other unless i put them together and so that's that's kind of what i'm doing and then here, here's our... I'm, I'm saying i'm in other words i'm saying to directors who are great directors i'm saying would you agree to direct this other guy's script right and i'm saying to writers i know you want to direct your script but would you let this other guy direct it please you know, I'm, I'm doing things like that because um, I really do believe it's it's a collaborative art form and it's already compromised by money. 
and so you have to make as few artistic compromises as possible to get a to get a good result and um so i'm trying to be that guy that comes in and says we ought to do it this way as a producer in order to make all of them shine the the director and the writer and the editor so here's a, a really big question for the last question um and hopefully it's not too big of a question but uh you know, you're talking about it's really easy to make movies. We all know there's so many movies out there right now. There's thousands and thousands of movies being made all the time. What what can we do as filmmakers to help our films stand out and get seen? Like what what's the secret there? Or is there a secret answer there? Yeah, yeah, I understand what you're saying. It's harder than ever to make a small film stand out in this huge media environment that we have. You need to be a master of exploitation. Exploitation historically means marketing it means you've you've found ways you know if if you're at a studio marketing means uh how how much money do you have to spend on the marketing budget if you're not at a studio marketing means exploitation you have to replace that money with some other form of exploitation and that exploitation can take the form of massive social media it can take the form of festivals it can take the form of going to conventions and selling your movie one dvd at a time which i know people people who have done that successfully um and and you know and there there's no like single answer when it's your first film and when you and when you're starting out but what it takes is spending as much time and energy on the exploitation of your film that you spend on making the film. And um, a lot of people give up too soon. And you know what they do when they give up? They sell it to Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) You know how many, you know how many hits you have to have to make a nickel on Amazon? It's crazy. It's crazy. You know, it's like, well, at least people will see my film. No, don't say that. Don't say that. Get, you know, sell your film. Don't, don't give it away. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show, Joe Bob. This is a, a thrill to have you involved okay. in any way. So we really All appreciate right. it. Well, we went, we went into areas I don't normally go into. So that's oh, interesting. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we'll um, good luck on all your, your upcoming shows, and um, maybe we'll see you at one of them. Oh, my God. We just oh talked to Joe Bob. I know. It was amazing. <laughs> um, sorry for that first that first question uh, and throwing you under the bus there. That I felt bad. It doesn't afterwards. matter because, like, I would I, I continuously threw myself under the bus from that point <laughs> on. <laughs> like, it didn't matter. Um, it was just, like, it was so exciting, but I kept like trying to impress him and then I kept on tripping over my words and then it just and then I just got excited that he was there <laughs> yeah well I think we were a little off to a rough start with that first, with that first question because he definitely did not like that first question no. he was like who are these idiots with this stupid ass question <laughs> and then you and came then, in with that second question which was a good question and I was like okay I'm glad you asked that question I was I was happy <laughs> with it but then I kept thinking, like, should I mention the cameo? You know, like the fact that Sean bought me a cameo with, of Joe Bob. And I was like, should I mention it? Should I thank him? Should I tell him I'm in horror now? Like, and then I just started thinking, obsessing over his uh, his evaluation of our questions. So much so that I just was like, 
Like, let it go. Let it go. I um, was like, because uh, I, I was thinking about this when we were watching his show. Like, he, he doesn't like stupid questions. And, uh, you know, I was like, man, hopefully don't, we don't ask a stupid question. And then the first thing I do is ask a stupid question. And I'm like, oh, my God, what an <laughs> idiot. Why did you ask such a, such a... Well, it's not even that stupid. I don't know. But, yeah, it's like a, a question that he would find stupid. You're right. You I, know, so. I forgot the origin. But the origin of the question was, I wanted to talk about Mike Flanagan. And I wanted to uh, know... How did he think about the state of horror, specifically this kind of like interesting spin on like domestic horror stories that Mike Flanagan's doing? And I like didn't write any of those notes. So when the question came up, I didn't even realize it was my question. I didn't even realize. I didn't even wonder why <laughs> someone would ask that question. So I just again, yeah, I threw myself under the bus, too. Uh, that's um, funny. But now we have we talked to Joe Bob. Yeah, we talked to Joe Bob. I, the, the thing I wanted to say that I thought was really interesting is like when you asked the the alter ego question and he kind of like pretended that didn't that wasn't a real question. And then at the end of his answer, talking about some other things, he answered it. He answered so it like, and it was oh, great. Cool. Yeah, it was great. It was exactly what we wanted. We were thinking it was. I mean, I regret the word political for sure. I regret saying <laughs> political rants because I guess they I think of them as political rants, but they're not. They're not partisan, but they talk about like diverse, yeah, like issues, political yeah. issues that are contentious, which I think are right. political in nature, but not partisan. So, like the the whole Gillette commercial thing, you know, that he talked about. Um, oh, I don't, I don't remember the Gillette it. commercial. I'm looking at Sean. Sean nodded. He's like, "Yeah, you know the Gillette yeah. commercial thing." Um, <laughs> I was thinking about like the objectification of women and social media thing that I think he did because Darcy was getting a lot of hate on social yeah. media i haven't um, come across that episode yet it's really good. That yeah that was so cool i like now can relax and drink sake i hope everyone else likes this as much as we did because <laughs> 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 that was great i thought it was really interesting i think he said a lot of great things and uh yeah i don't know i i, I wonder how many other joe bob fans are out there if it's like me and you are like there's tons you know, there's we posted about how we're interviewing it and interviewing him and like we got like a bunch of likes. But how many questions did we get? We got like no questions. No, I don't know. People are lazy. That was the other thing. It's like I, I also regret the question. I'm just this is just gonna be therapy. Sorry, Arik. Sure. Um I regret the question, how do you source those projects? Because of course I know from the scripts, but I wanted to know is he going to agents and managers or is he accepting open solicitations? And then how can I get my script right. to Joe Bob? Like that's what I right. want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I love these questions are but they're you're very basic on the surface but then underneath yes. like, there's so much there's to like what you really wanted to ask yes. but you maybe should just ask those questions and not the top layer questions i already offended him with the first question so i was like i'm gonna play it safe um <laughs> yeah. Wow. yeah no, no. and he's great and you can like weird. picture him i don't think he heard us very well every single time though maybe like, not i don't know maybe it was we a heard Zoom him. thing we heard he him so clear. well, but I'm wondering yeah. if the connection wasn't as great on his end. I'm just thinking about this episode when you guys watch it. It's just going to be Joe Bob's face whenever he's talking, just like a photo I find of him. <laughs> it's going to be me looking at Sean so that we could exchange looks about how great the response was from Joe Bob and then going back to camera. Is Sean still there? Can he? I want to know if he'd like the answer to oh, uh, his to question. Him. He's not listening. Sean, did you like the answer to... Um, your question about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sean, uh, a very chatty person, just said, yeah. So he did like the answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One word. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, I, this has been really great. Um, yeah. I don't know if we're going to air this with the interview or if we're going to even air this at all, but I just wanted to 
We should very exciting. We should put this on the YouTube channel. This discussion about, in fact, why don't we? If we can, we could post this whenever you have time. Like not right now, obviously, (laughs) but like if you have have time in the next few days, it could just be a tease to the to the Joe Bob episode. I think so. Okay, cool. All right, so this is a preview now. All of a sudden, to the Joe Bob conversation that we just had. Uh, Yeah. It was great. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm been, I'm a new fan, right? Like I, you know, I, I watched, I think I watched him when I was younger on TNT, but like yeah. really been digging his drive-in, last drive-in show a lot. So I don't know. This is cool. And I, I, I want to be one of those directors, like you're saying, that he picks and pushes together yes. with someone else. I was like, oh my God, I got to finish my movie so he can see it, love it, and then want to hire me in the future. And then get to be on the show and get to sit yeah. at that like wonderful trailer setting and then also get to hang out with felissa rhodes and darcy who is felissa rhodes i don't she's know. the mangled dick expert i'm sorry do you I, not i know i know she's the mangled dick expert but i don't know anything else about her is she an actor she's in she's... um so she play... oh you actually just know her as the mangled dick that's so funny that's all i um, know her as she's in sleepaway camp she's in sleepaway camp and there's uh, I don't if you have to see Sleepaway Camp if you haven't already and I won't give it away but there's a not. reason she's called the Mangle Dick Expert oh okay yeah I just know her from like the time she's come on the show and then they have that really ridiculous picture of her that they put on and then she like, like says ridiculous things oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's charming All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to Joe Bob Briggs for being on the show and for Tracy V, his assistant, for arranging it all. Much appreciated. Thank you so much. Um, there's probably things to plug for Joe Bob. Uh, he's on Shutter. He's got his show, The Last Drive-In, which um, you can watch, I think, most of the episodes on um, on Shutter right now. Although there's a couple of movies that they, they don't have the rights for anymore that you can't watch the episodes. It's very frustrating. But um, anyways, uh, and I think he has a new special that he just did, uh, but I don't. I didn't see it. We're watching it, it right Shutter. now. The Haunted Hideaway, oh. Um, oh, cool. where they show haunts, which I'm nice getting through because it's a little scary. So we have to watch it in parts. But yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a big one for us. Um, you can check out our website at MickeyMoviesIsHard.com. Uh, we can find the links to the things we talked about in this episode, including lots of Joe Bob related stuff, including our favorite clips of Joe Bob. I know Liz has one that she showed me that was like. Like the first thing I saw about Joe Bob, uh, really, like since like from TNT back in the day or whatever. And uh, it was like, wow, this guy's cool. So check that out. Um, and if you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. Or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MMIH Podcast. And I'm RB on Twitter and Instagram. And Liz, where are you? I'm Liz Manishal on Twitter and Liz Manishal Film on Instagram. And then please, if you like the show, tell a friend. Help us get the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Uh, leave a comment on YouTube now. We love those. Those are fun. Um, tell people on YouTube to watch our show. I don't know. It's good. That's the thing I think you can do. You can sh- No, I don't think you can do that. You can just share YouTube links on other things. So do that. Um, and yeah, and uh, I guess thanks, thanks to... Thanks to Ulrich. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to you for editing, for editing the show. We should say the one, the last one we said thanks to me, it was actually going to be thanks to Carly, um, our new, one of our new editors, because she's editing that one right now. So can't wait to hear it. Um, And uh, so thank you, Carly, for last week's episode. And we will talk to you guys next week. Get ready.
because it's gonna blow your minds. All right, I love we did your it. dance. It's amazing. I put that in the next episode. Yeah, I only do it in the show. It just comes out of me.